Well, hey, good morning, Heritage. Welcome to all of you here at Rock Island. Shout out to our crew at QC West and the folks at Bettendorf and those joining us online. This is week two of our two-week global outreach emphasis, where we're taking some time to revisit our global mission and our global investments. And we do this every year. But one of the coolest things about these moments is that we all have an opportunity to individually more fully understand our God-given purpose, why we're here and how that connects to God's greater work in the world. And so this is a great opportunity for us to step into that. We have already, last week, begun a process of beginning to unpack what it means to be sent. And in a few moments, Justin Barnes, our pastor of local outreach, is going to come and take us a little bit further on that journey. But before he does that, I want to take a moment to revisit where we've been so far. We know that Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, he said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That verse right there is foundational to understanding that we are sent. But even before that verse, in John 17, 18, he's talking with God one day and he says, as you, have sent me, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And those two verses alone, and there's lots of other examples, but those two verses alone give a very clear understanding and clarity to the fact that we are a sent people. We are a sent people. That's your first fill-in. If you're following along in your sermon notes guide, we are a sent people. A sent people into the world for the Lord. We are supposed to be living sent. We're supposed to live how? Sent. We are to live sent. Now, the reality is we're taking some time to understand how we do that. How do we live sent in this world? Now, we know that the mission of the church is all about sending. It's not about keeping Jesus himself modeled that for us when he invested in people and discipled people. He did that to send them, and he calls us to do the same thing. The challenge is when we stop short in that journey, that we don't step fully into all he's called us to be and what he's asked us to do. And last week, we started to unpack the reality that there are two ways that we can live in this world. One is to live separated, separated from God, or we can live sent from God. There's only two ways to live. We all start with a choice in this journey, but we, we have a choice, but we all start with the reality that we're separated. It's our sin. It's the rebellion in our life. We all start separated, but through Jesus, we have an opportunity to have a new life, to be new creatures in him, and to live sent. We have a choice. This one, separated, is really about us. We live our way, and sent is about God's way. We live his way, his purposes, his priorities. Now, the, the challenge or the confusion comes in the reality that both separated and sent, they both take place in the same location, in the same space, in the world. So we can live separated from God in the world, and we live sent from God in the world. So in that space, in that confusion, when we find new life in Jesus, we can start to think that our spiritual life should have some separation here and create a space that we can live in that we ultimately can end up calling saved. And we can knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, out of ignorance or even out of a place of manipulation, start to pick and choose. Well, I'm going to do some things my way and I'm going to do some things God's way because I'm blocked off in my bunker and I'm protected from the things of this world until he calls me home. But my friends, God never intended us to live this way. When Jesus offers us salvation, he does it in order to send us. 
In fact, it is so clear, and so he felt this so strongly that at one point in conversation with God, he prays, and he prays that God would not take us out of the world. He actually says it in that, right before that passage in John 17, 18, where he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Just a few verses before, verse 14, he says, they're no more part of the world than I'm part of the world. And in verse 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them while they're in it from the evil one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them while they're in it from the evil one. And the reality is that we are sent into the world. We're to be in it, not of it. When we look at the whole of the New Testament, the New Testament is about a God who sends a son, who sends a people on mission. And we are to live sent. The question is, how? How do we actually live sent in this world? In the tensions of it, in the realities, the challenges of it, how do we live sent? Now, we know from last week that we serve a global God who gives us a global mission. And just to make sure we're all on the same page, when we talk about global, we're not just talking about international. Global is the world. Global is all of it. Global includes international. Global also includes regional. And global includes local. See, global is everywhere. Local is wherever we're at in any given moment of any given day. And so we as a church family are talking in these few weeks in these terms, that we are to invest globally, but act locally. Invest globally, act locally. That understand, that's like we've got a big world mission that we're trying to fulfill, but we're acting it out in the context of the world. And so the deal is that we have been sent back into this world, into the marketplace, into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, wherever we go, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to make a difference in this world for him. And the crazy cool thing about it is he has already gone ahead of us and prepared the work for us to do. All we have to do is walk in it. In fact, uh, Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, talked about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The works that God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And when we walk in the things that God has prepared beforehand, that's when we're living sent. We are a sent people. We are not to live saved. When we understand that Jesus has left us, sent us here, we can't live this way. We're to be living sent. Now you may be thinking, why is this such a big deal? Why are you making an emphasis on this? Why are we taking time? Well, the reality is, I want to share with you 200 million reasons why as Justin prepares to come and talk to us about the how. Check out this video. There are more than 200 million unreached lives in North America. The third largest mission field in the world is our own backyard. Our backyard has changed. It does not look the same. We aren't very many anymore. Our backyard was reached, but it is reached no more. Our message appears to have weakened. It has faded and been shaded 
Our gospel has slipped, settled, and seems to be slumbering. It isn't restoring, outpouring, or transforming like it was. Yesterday is gone, yet tomorrow dawns a new hope. What our backyard needs most is a new kind of missionary with a new kind of mission. What we need are lives who will drop everything to live out a bold and courageous faith. We need planters and leaders, teams of lives, lives who will go out our back door with fresh grace for the new place our backyard has become. We need our gospel to awaken and be taken through lives who will stake everything on reaching for the unreached. We need lives who will live out a fresh vision to spread our gospel and see lives and churches and communities being transformed. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to shake and take us to the heart of where God's radical grace will take its new face. There are more than 200 million unreached lives in North America, the third largest mission field in the world is our own backyard. Well, hello, Heritage. How we doing? There's over 200 million reasons that we as a people have to embrace the reality that we are called to live sent. That we are called to live sent. Translation, there are over 200 million people who are going about this thing that we call life. You know what I mean? The ups, the downs, the challenges, the traumas, the things that don't go how we hoped and, and relationships that fall apart. And there's 200 million people that are going about life without the hope that we have in a relationship with Jesus and without knowing his name. Now let me, let me kind of zoom in a little bit here, right here in the Quad Cities. We know that roughly somewhere in the range of 400,000 people call the Quad Cities home. And in a recent study, a survey that was taken, roughly 50% of those people claim to have some type of association with a religious organization or a religious faith. And so we know from that number that there are roughly 200,000 people, every one of these BBs representing 10 people, who claim to have an association with a religious faith. Now that leaves another 50%, or roughly 200,000 people, who we know for a fact don't associate with a religious faith or an organization, and so we know with certainty that those 200,000 don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now what's fascinating though is this week as I was talking to some individuals about this 200,000 that, that associate with a religious faith, I, 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 as I began to dig in, I, I, I saw that that includes the Muslim faith, that includes the Hindu faith, that includes um, Baha'i faith, that includes some of us who come to church week in and week out and haven't made a decision for Christ. I know because I was one of those where I would come to church and I would sing and, and I would critique the pastor and I had never really made a decision to place my faith in Jesus Christ. But now listen, if we take those numbers out of this 200,000 people, it is realistic to, realistic to assume that upwards of 95% of people in the Quad Cities don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And upwards of 95% of people don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's staggering. 
It's staggering. I was sharing this with a pastor friend of mine, and he said, Justin, he went on to tell me a story, and he said, recently I was uh, going and I was checking out at a cashier, and I was getting ready to, to run my credit card, and I looked at the, elder, you know, the elderly cashier across from me, and I said, happy Easter weekend, right? And she looked at him with a big smile, and she said, oh, sir, I prefer to say happy resurrection weekend. You know, this is going well. But then he says, about a 14 or 15-year-old girl walked up, kind of with a look on her face, and she said, I don't understand. You know, and there's kind of this, this moment between him and the, the lady behind the counter. Who's going to speak first? You guys know what I'm talking about? And the elderly lady, in a way that only she could, she goes, oh, honey, <laughs> oh, honey, the resurrection is when we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And this girl looked at her and said, I don't understand. Who is Jesus? Now, I tell you that story because that story took place at the YMCA in Moline, Illinois. The YMCA in Moline, Illinois. So not only do we have 95% of people in the Quad Cities who don't have a relationship with Jesus, we have some that have never even heard his name. Now listen, before I go any further, I want you to know if you're here today or you're watching at one of our campuses or online, the gospel is this. That God loved you so much with a relentless love that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, spotless life, who died on a cross for your sins. He rose again three days later and through a relationship with him, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I want you to know today, if you haven't made that decision, today is the day. But now church, we live in a community that desperately needs a people to stand up and to embrace their call to live sent to embrace the reality that they are a sent people. But it's important to understand that sent isn't something that we do. Sent isn't something we do. This isn't an event. This isn't something that we check off. This is who we are as a people. It's who we are as a people. And our community desperately needs us to get this. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament when the, when the nation of Israel is in a similar situation. The, the nation is just in absolute chaos. And in, this story takes place in the, in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges, for those of you uh, maybe who aren't familiar, starts after Moses leads his people through the wilderness, brings them right up to the Jordan where they're going to walk into the promised land. And Moses dies. Joshua is anointed a leader. Joshua leads them across the Jordan. Miraculous event. Goes in and they conquer the promised land. They are living in the promise that God has given them years and years and years ago. Eventually, Joshua dies, and this is where the book of Judges starts, and it runs all the way up until the moment that Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, this is a period of time that is marked by great chaos and great faith, or great peace, rather, all right? And what was happening in, in Judges chapter 20, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How many of you know that's a scary thought? right? <laughs> you know, so what was happening is that the nation of Israel, here they are in the promised land, and then they made decisions to turn away from God, to live in wicked, evil ways, and they would eventually be um, invaded and taken over by some of their enemies that surrounded them, and they'd be mistreated and beaten and abused, and eventually they'd get to a place where they would set their eyes on God, and they would cry out and ask for him to deliver them, and God and only his grace and his mercy would raise up a judge who would deliver them. And so that's the story. As we jump into Judges today, we're going to look at the story of one ordinary man who embraced this reality of what it meant to be live, called to live sent. And so let's check this out. Judges chapter 5. We're going to read about a guy named Shamgar. This isn't Shamwow, okay? It's not an infomercial, right? It's Shamgar. And so let's check this out. Judges chapter 5, verse 6. 
It says this, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. In other words, what we hear here is that there is such a fear involved in the nation of Israel that if they have to go out at all, they're going to do everything they can to stay home. But if they have to go out, they're not going to travel on the main highways. The reason being is that these Philistines had come and they had set up camp. They had invaded the country and they had these little bands that would raid people, that would steal from them, that would beat them, and sometimes even take some of the Israelites' life. So there was this fear involved that I don't want to leave my house, but if I have to, I'll go take the back roads. Even if it takes me two times, three times as long, I want to flee. I want to, I want to be safe. So there was this fear involved that there was an everyday man, everyday Joe, everyday Jack, everyday Jill that sat there and said, look, I'm not just going to live saved. I'm going to embrace my call to live sent. Let's see what Shamgar does. Verse 31 of chapter 3. He says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Those two verses, those 42 words, if you're reading the, new, the NIV version, that's all we know about Shamgar. That's it. Some of you, 90% of us in the room, I bet, haven't heard of Shamgar. But here's what we know about Shamgar. Shamgar is the third minor judge, okay? He didn't start as a judge, but he eventually was named a judge. Now, the best that we know, based on what was the cultural norms of the time and and some of the economic challenged reality that they lived in, was that Shamgar lived this ordinary existence, all right? Shamgar did what most other men did, and he was a farmer. That's how he provided for his family. Now, we know that because it says that Shamgar used an ox goat. Anybody know what an ox goat is? Oh, this will be good. Let me tell you, okay? So this is what an ox goat is. It's roughly a six to ten foot long pole. And on one side of the pole is a sharp point. So whether it was carved out of wood or if it was a metal point. And on the other side of this, this pole would be a, a chisel or a shovel-like uh, you know, mechanism. And so what would happen is this tool was used in the biblical times. The farmers would follow along behind their oxen. And when the oxen began to, to you know, slow down and maybe get weary or get tired or maybe wasn't doing what he's supposed to, the farmer would goad him, right? So the oxen's going along, he gets a little tired, and then whoop, all right, here I go again, right? He goads him. Now the other side, the shovel, the chisel side, is if the plow came along a uh, route that maybe the, the plow couldn't get up, the, the farmer would go and he would use that side of the, of the ox goad to chisel that route up, maybe break it up. He'd also use that as a means to clean off the plow. And so we see Shamgar is an everyday guy, an everyday guy that used an ox goad But God did the miraculous through him. And it's through this simple man that I know many of us haven't heard of that we see four things that a sent people do, or a sent people understand, and what it means to be sent. And the first one is this. Shamgar started where he was at. A sent people start where they are at. Shamgar made a difference right outside in his own backyard, didn't he? In his own country. He didn't look to another country and say, I'll go over there and I'll make a difference there and and kind of neglect what's happening. Physically, he made a difference right where he was at. But I'll also tell you, the stage of life that he was in, he made a difference right there too. You see, Shamgar was a farmer. He wasn't a great warrior. He wasn't a great political leader. He hadn't been anointed judge. He didn't wait until he was anointed judge to make a difference. He didn't wait until he had followers and weaponry and, and things and prestige where people would follow him. He started right where he was at. Now listen, I understand not all of us here are where we want to be or maybe where we feel like we should be. You know, for some of us, maybe we've been dealt a bad hand and we didn't have a father growing up or we didn't have a role model. 
You know, or maybe we've made some poor decisions in our home, in our family, in our marriage, in our finances, and we're sitting here and we're saying, listen, I hear you telling me that we're called to live sent, but I just don't feel like I can until I do blank, 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 blank. And I want you to know Shamgar started right where he was at. He started right where he was at. You know, some of us here, if you're a teacher, if you're a farmer, if you're a cashier at a YMCA, or maybe you're a baker or you work for a lawn care company, take what you know how to do and ask God, how can I use that for your glory? How can I use that for your glory? Now listen, a lot of times I think we've believed the lie in the church that in order to do something great for God, we have to be a pastor or a missionary. I'm going to tell you that's not true. I believe our God calls and anoints and equips people to go out into the world, into the workplace. And in fact, those 350,000 plus people that don't know Jesus, they're not in here. They're out there. And you are the people that God is sending. He's saying, start where you're at and use what you have. Start where you're at and use what you have. Ascent people get this. Shamgar had an ox goad, right? He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have whatever. He had an ox goad. I mean, this is throughout Scripture. Ascent people. Moses uses a shepherd's staff, doesn't he? David uses a sling, right? And then he had to go borrow three stones from a river, right? you know? Samson, do you know what he used? The jawbone of a donkey. I mean, this is insane. But these people are ascent people using what they have. And listen, God has given you something. You may not have the financial picture that you want, or you may not have the knowledge of the word that you want, or you may not have what you think you need, but ascent people start where they are and they use what they have. And third, ascent people do what they can do. Ascent people do what they can. Now listen, verse 31 of chapter 3, it says that Shamgar used an ox goad to deliver and kill 600 Philistines, right? And I hear that story and I go, Man, that doesn't really make sense, okay? So if I had a modern-day shovel, and I was coming out here, you know, and it, I can maybe take out a couple, right? But eventually, you're going to subdue me. Eventually, two or three or four of you are going to come, and you're going to grab me. You're going to get a hold of me. And so as I think about that reality and that story, I think Shamgar did what he could by taking out one person at a time. One person at a time. These bands, these robbers would have been set up kind of at checkpoints, almost like if we were looking for a fugitive on the loose on a highway here. Police would set up at certain checkpoints around the area. And just like that, this is me reading into it, that I believe that Shamgar attacked one group at a time. He made a difference. Ten here, five there, twenty there. But eventually he killed 600 Philistines. And so he did what he could. And finally this one. Shamgar was a man of great faith. And he stepped out and he trusted that his God would do the miraculous. And ascent people don't just start where they're at. They use what they have. They do what they can do. But oh, they cry out and they beg their God. And they trust that he will do the miraculous. You see, it said in Judges chapter 2 that God raises up judges. He was the one that anointed and equipped and empowered. He was the one that used Samgar. He was the one that delivered Israel. Now listen, our community desperately needs Jesus. They desperately need a sent people to walk outside of these doors and go out and to make a difference. But let's be clear. God and God alone draws. God and God alone saves. God and God alone transforms lives. He alone transforms communities. But he is calling a sent people to go out, to start where they are, to use what they have, do what they can do, and then let's get on our knees and beg and trust that our God is going to do the miraculous. 
Now, we as a church are called to do that, but we also, through Faith Promise and what we're talking about these, these two weeks, we support some organizations in our community that are little shamgars, is what I like to call them. You know, so if you pull out your, your brochure here, if you go to the last page, not the tear-off page, but the one before that, there are a number of local organizations that we support. And one of those, let me highlight a couple things. World Relief, this last year, settled 219 refugees in our community from all over the world. Settled them here. And when I sat with Amy, I said, Amy, what does it take for a refugee to be successful? And she said, Justin, three things. One, they need to learn English. Two, they need to get a job and they need to meet American friends. And so as I dug into some research, I found that most refugees that are open to the gospel are typically within the first few months that they're here. And a group of moms, listen to this, in our church heard that. And they said, hey, we have play groups. We have play dates. What if we invited some of the refugee families? We'll develop relationships. We'll develop friendships. We speak English, right? And so they started where they were, used what they had, and now they're meeting with a family from Iraq and from Burma. They are making a difference. Shamgar's right here. The 180 zone found out that over 250 kids in Davenport in their schools go home on the weekend, and they don't have food and might not get a full meal until they get back on Monday. They started where they were, they used what they had, and they did what they could do. And in two weeks, there is, for the first time ever, a food pantry is going to be in Davenport schools that are going to send food home with kids. These are local partners that we support. Calvary International Church is ministering to six different uh, African nations right there in their church. Wellsprings of Freedom is coming alongside people who want to experience the freedom that comes in a relationship with Christ, to, to be free from whatever's holding them back. And not only is Wellsprings coming alongside them, they're raising up leaders in our community who are able to go out and minister. And get this, because of Skype and technology, they're training people around the world to do this work. We have some great organizations that we support, Shamgars right here in our community who are making a difference for the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you, church, our God is at work. Our God is at work, and he is calling us as a sent people to step out, to embrace our sentness, and to draw people to him. And so today you might be going, so what, Justin? What does that mean for me? And there's really two things. One's a question that I ask you to ask yourself, and it's simply this. What will you do with what you have where you're at? What will you do with what you have where you're at? If you've made a decision for Christ and you have placed your faith with him, what will you do with what you have where you're at? Our community desperately needs us. One out of every 20 people that we interact with outside of these walls knows who Jesus is. That means 19 out of 20 don't have a relationship with him. It's, called for, it's time for us to live as a sent people, isn't it? We've got to. We've got to. And, there's a prayer, and uh, the second thing is this. I'm going to ask you to ask God to do the miraculous around you and through you. Ask God to do the miraculous around you and through you. To close, there's a prayer that I want to, I want to share with you, and I encourage you to pray this. Really, this is a prayer of ascent people. You see, Shamgar it took great faith to step out. It took great trust that God would work. And I, I think Shamgar may have prayed, prayed a prayer similar to this. I heard this prayer from a friend of mine, and I decided that I would steal it and pray it for myself, right? <laughs> Those are good ones. So every morning when I come from Davenport to Rock Island, after I pray that the Centennial Bridge will be open soon, right? And I pray that the Arsenal Bridge will please be open, you know what I mean? And so then I pray this. I pray, Lord, use me in a way that is disproportionate to who I am. Lord, use me in a way that is disproportionate to who I am. Because you see, if God uses us in a way that's disproportionate to who we are, who gets the glory? 
He does, doesn't he? It, so I ask you, and as we close today, this portion, and Sean will come back up, I want to ask you to pray. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, begin to pray, Lord, use me in a way that is disproportionate to who I am. And if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, there's a prayer on the back of the worship guide. I encourage you to go there. And so let me pray for us as we close, and then Sean will be back up. Heavenly Father, God, I pray today that you would use us, Heritage Church, and the people here, and the body of Christ, not just at Heritage, but in the Quad Cities, in a way that is disproportionate to who we are. Because, God, we believe you and you alone are able to draw and save and transform lives. And so, God, may you find us faithful. You have called us to be a sent people. And, God, I pray we'd be faithful in living that out and that we would see you, oh God, do the miraculous. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. One of the ways that God uses us disproportionately to who we are is through our global investment and our local action. We have an opportunity and responsibility to do both of those things. As we start where we're at, as we use what we have, we do what we can, and we ask God to do the miraculous. Faith promise is one of the specific ways that we do that as a church. And I ask you to grab that brochure that Justin pointed out to you. There's some great information in there about what we do and why we do it. But one of the key pieces of global outreach is faith promise. And faith promise is a global investment thing. It's above and beyond giving. It's setting aside resources um, for the global investment piece of what God wants to do. And it's really how a God who sends resources the work he wants to do. And it's how we fund the work that we're doing around the world. And this year, our faith promise goal is $320,000. $320,000. The annual heritage outreach budget is based entirely on faith promise giving. The, it's the giving we believe God is going to bring to bear to do the work he's asking us to do. And so we step each year by faith and ask all of us as a church family to do the same individually to invest globally to be part of the work that he's doing and and those resources that he's going that he's going to bring into your life to bring to bear on the greater kingdom work that he's asked us to do it it's called faith promise for a reason because faith and a promise are the key elements to it it, it required an element of faith for shamgar to be used by god and it will require a similar reality of faith for you and i to be used in utter disproportionate means and an effect in this world. It requires an element of faith. We ask for faith promise for all of those who call Heritage home. This is your church home. We ask you to designate an amount of money that will go towards the global investments uh, as a step of faith, resources that God's going to bring to bear in your life. These are not resources you currently have. These are resources God's going to bring into your life, asking you to directly bring to bear on his global greater work. And we ask you to step in faith in that way. It also has a promise piece to it. And this is where the conversation with God needs to take place. This is a promise between you and God to, to, to direct resources to his greater kingdom work. And so here's what I'm asking for you to do. Just two things. I'm asking you to talk to God and then do what he says. That's it. Talk to God and do what he says. Spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, how do you want me to invest globally? And then do what he says. Obey. It's listen and obey. And if you're someone who's familiar with global outreach and you're familiar with faith promise and you took the challenge from last week and you're ready to roll, awesome. That's great. But if you've not taken the time to talk with God, that's where you have to start. Having a conversation with him, hearing from him, and then doing what he said. Once you have done that, I want to ask you to then communicate with us where you're at in that journey. 
The best way to do that is to use the cards on the back part of that panel, the last page. In fact, there's two cards there. There's an orange one and a green one. The orange one is for you. It has some more information about faith promise. It has a spot to indicate the commitment that you're making. And on the back side has specific prayer points for you to continue to engage and invest globally through intercession. The green one is for us to understand where you're at in the journey. And it's an opportunity for you to say, this is how God has asked me to step. This is how I'm going to invest globally. And, and you can indicate on there amount. It can be by week, by month, one-time gift. It really doesn't matter. Totally up to you. And whenever you give, I encourage you to mark that check or envelope with faith promise so we know what it's for. But with this card, with this information, now we can step in obedience together. And I encourage you to do that. We have the opportunity to start where we're at, use what we have, do what we can, and then ask God to do the miraculous. I can't wait to see how he's going to respond. Heritage Church is a generous church, and God always blesses generosity. But the deal is, we have not just been a people to be set aside and saved. We've been saved to be sent. And that means investing globally, acting locally, as we start where we're at, as we use what we have, as we do what we can, and then trust and ask God to do the miraculous. I cannot wait to see how he's going to do that, how he works in utterly disproportionate ways to who we are. For as Justin said, for his glory. So I ask you to pray. We're going to be receiving those things today. If you're ready, great, go for it. If you're not, because you haven't taken the time to really ask God, hold off. We're receiving those things next week as well. Our goal is to have a very clear picture of our faith promise commitments by the beginning of September. So I ask you to talk to God and then do what he says. Because he is preparing us for things far greater than we can ever begin to ask or imagine. And the best is yet to come for us as a church family as we see this region and beyond reached for him. So let's take a moment and pray as we step back into worship. Father, thank you for the chance to know you through your son. Father, I, I am grateful that you didn't leave us separated. You provided a way for us to receive salvation and ultimately to be sent. Father, forgive us if we have settled into that saved category, separated ourselves from the world and separated ourselves from your mission. Help us to live in your strength, in your courage, with boldness as a people sent into the world. Help us to invest globally while acting locally. Wherever we're at, every moment of every day, an opportunity to be your hands and feet, representatives of you. So, Father, as we step not only into that daily reality, but we step into this coming year, a new year of faith promise from, from September to next August, may you bring the resources you have through us to bear on the mission you've called us to accomplish. You are not only the God who sends, you're the God who provides. You are Jehovah Jireh, and we look to you as provider. So Father, may, may we not only be obedient and faithful and um, submitted to you, but Lord, may you be glorified in that. It's not just about the task, it's not just about the need, this is about your glory in and through us. And so I pray, Father, that, that you would be glorified through us as a church. Thank you for loving us, thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen.